0: Well, hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Harsh Reality. I'm your host, Sean Harshey, and this is episode 91 of this weekly recap of what's going on in the news, and I appreciate your making The Harsh Reality Podcast a part of your weekly routine. This week, I've got a few stories about the January 6th riot, some new developments over the past week, that kind of give things a little new perspective over what the original hysteria in the media was all about. Rand Paul, actually, is also kind of clarifying some things with the COVID matter and the vaccine. I've got another example of how things go in riots when people look out for themselves instead of waiting for the police or whoever to take care of business. I've got a longer segment about everything being infrastructure, which, as a little preview, which was also the topic of my national column this week at WorldNet Daily, and I'll promote that during the break in the program. I've got a crazy story about this volcano that's blowing up, and, well, it kind of goes back to the COVID. I've got a bit about the official end of Mike Pence's career, another segment about things that are going on in the media, and finally, a kind of funny and sad segment on the transgender issue. With that, let's get started. I've got a story here from Becker News, which is Kyle Becker's news organization. You can find that over at BeckerNews.com. He has a piece entitled, New York Times Confirms Stand-Down Order Was Given to Capitol Police During the January 6th Riot. Here's a little bit of that story. The New York Times has finally confirmed what many political observers had been saying all along about the Capitol riots. It was pre planned. The Capitol police knew it was coming, and authorities effectively gave a stand down order. A new 104 page report dropped by an internal investigator shreds authorities for intentionally hampering the police response on what has subsequently been called a coup, an insurrection or an attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The Inspector General of the Capitol Police laid bare all of the disturbing issues involved with the way the January 6th Electoral College security was mishandled. And the story goes on for a while. At the end of the day, it confirms... Now, now, we're kind of going to talk about the players here. Besides the Times reporting on this, but this is from a report from what we call the IG, or the Inspector General of the Capitol Police. So this is like an internal watchdog that a lot of government agencies have. I think most do at, at some level. But the point of an IG is to have an independent part of the agency that can do investigations and get to the truth of the matter, whatever the truth may be, good or bad. Now, I mean, used to, the media did this, but we've seen what's been happening with the media. But at the end of the day, the IG report confirms what most of us saw in a lot of these videos, which was Capitol Police moving barricades out of the way and letting people up into the Capitol. In fact, there's uh, several videos where Capitol Police are holding the doors open of the Capitol building. So that's what we saw but it was portrayed in media and by certain partisan individuals as you know some wartime act to overtake a you know overtake a government building now this is going on all over the united states we have burn, you know people burning down police stations and attacking federal buildings and attacking Ice detention facilities and these sorts of things. But the video that we saw, for instance, folks walking through the Capitol Rotunda, they were live streaming and they were staying within the ropes so they didn't go outside the, you know, those velvet rope things they have. And this IG report essentially says yes, we were told that you know we were stopped from giving any kind of organized response to it or you know we we were not told to not let them in the building so what this does is it essentially is this is kind of that Jesse Smollett type of thing where you set the conditions and then you run around screaming what a victim you are and this is also i anticipate one of the reasons that the department of justice is having such a tough time coming up with insurrection or any of these other, you know, sedition or any of these major felony charges against any of the people that they've that they've arrested or they've filed charges on based on what happened on January 6th. And also, too, it's important that this is coming from the Capitol Police because they've been thrown under the bus here as, you know, this incompetent bunch of boobs. And so the IG report is, is from the Capitol Police and they're like, hey, 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 we were following orders in how we handled the... I mean, they're not acting on their own in all this. They were directed not to defend the Capitol at all costs. And so they didn't. As a matter of fact, like I said, you saw the video. They moved the barricades and let folks go up the steps, and then they held the door while people went into the building. Now, the numbers of people... And this is an unrelated story that I don't have... Uh, or it's kind of a related story that I don't have in uh, in the, the my stack of stuff this week but it's interesting that we have the one guy who is a antifa whatever he considers himself a citizen journalist which actually i'm i'm okay with that but he's a guy who takes his iphone around and he videos stuff and remember he dressed up as a trump supporter he's a, a black lives matter antifa uh, whatever and he intention and he talked about in advance what he was going to do that he was going to go to this rally in dc on january 6th and he was going to try and stir things up and and that's exactly what he did. As a matter of fact, we find out now that not only is he out of jail because he was he was charged for being in the capitol or what have you, but we find out this week that NBC and CNN each paid him $35,000 to use his footage that he shot inside the capitol building and he's out on bond. He's he's walking around free. Meanwhile, another citizen journalist who actually is a Trump supporter, he's a conservative citizen journalist who was in the same place, same time, took the same video, he's still rotting in jail. So the different treatment is actually very interesting, and that's a great segue into my next story. I've got a story here from Gateway Pundit, and this is by Kristen Taylor. And the title of this piece is Biden DOJ closes investigation of police shooting death of Ashley Babbitt with no charges filed. Here's a little bit of that story. The Biden Justice Department announced Wednesday it has closed the investigation into the homicide death of Trump supporter Ashley Babbitt that took place inside the Capitol during the January 6th riot. This was while Congress was meeting in joint session to certify the November presidential election in favor of Joe Biden. Babbitt, who was unarmed, was shot and killed without apparent warning by a plainclothes Capitol police officer from a door at the speaker's lobby. The name of the officer has not been released. So, kind of going back to our last segment, one of the things that we all heard about uh, January 6th was that hey if if the if this was a BLM thing, they would have just murdered everybody, or if this was anti fa they would have they would have killed them all, and so the police are all a bunch of racists or the police are all a bunch of you know extremists or whatever they 're saying, and the treatment is horribly different that this is racism in action that they didn 't kill enough people in the capital. When this situation was going on, when the Capitol Police moved the barricades and opened the doors for them and let them in. But switch this around. So this past week, we had that female officer up in Minnesota who fired her sidearm instead of a taser at this, uh, this guy who was fighting with police. He had one handcuff on. He was trying to get in the car and drive away. And he had a felony warrant for, what, armed robbery or something. Anyway, terrible mistake. Awful that that this happened. I guess she immediately resigned from the police. That's not a mistake that anybody should make. You have to be held responsible for what you do. However, if you reverse the situation, and here you had Miss Babbitt, who was a U.S. Air Force veteran and had no warrants for her arrest. She wasn't running from police. She was not told to stay away. And she was shot and killed without anybody saying anything to her by a police officer from behind a barricade from about six feet away. Just his first reaction was to shoot and kill somebody, an unarmed protester. So anyway, if you take and switch these things around, there is different treatment, but the treatment was was pretty different. As a matter of fact, they've already, the Derek Chauvin thing that's going on up in Minneapolis, this lady that uh, that fired her gun instead of her taser, Their names were out there immediately. We still don't know the name of the Capitol Police officer who just killed a woman, and now the Department of Justice says, well, we don't see any evidence that uh, that he didn't reasonably believe that it was necessary to, what, he shot her in the throat or something, like point-blank range. And they're going to sweep this under the rug. All things being equal, well... So it's been over a year now since the COVID outbreak and the initial panic where we thought everybody was going to die. As a matter of fact, I have uh, friends and family who who work in the healthcare industry who at that time, they believed the hype because all of a sudden they see the hospitals locking down and hiring circus tents to be set up out front to handle the you know the thousands of dead and dying they brought in refrigerated trucks because they were expecting just uh, stacks of bodies that you know this was all expected and then the longer it went on a lot of these healthcare professionals were like you know I'm not really seeing the death and destruction from this most people unless they're really old or they have some really bad comorbidity that is they have some some other health problem going on They seem to be, everybody's recovering from it. In fact, even some older people, I I know a few older people who got COVID and they recovered. In fact, one of my kids also got COVID and described it as like a bad flu that lasted for about a weekend and then they were fine. As a matter of fact, this kid of mine said it was really not nearly as bad as when I had mono a few years ago, which lasted for weeks and was far more debilitating. So putting all these things in perspective, not to say that COVID isn't a bad thing, but there are a lot of viruses, as a matter of fact, in the coronavirus family. And if you remember, I was one of the early people who were saying coronavirus is a known thing. This is just a different kind of coronavirus. And we've never locked down the entire U.S. economy and rushed vaccines to market before they were properly tested. And I could probably do a whole show just about that. But this article I saw, this is from Newsmax.com. Senator Rand Paul to Newsmax TV for vaccine buy-in? Don't lie to people. Here's a little bit of that story. If the government wants conservatives and African Americans, two populations who have been skeptical of receiving the COVID-19 vaccine, to buy into the program, it is essential they are truthful with them to avoid further resistance According to Senator Rand Paul, Republican Kentucky, quote, "If you want people who are skeptical of the vaccine to take it, a couple of things to tell them. Number one is it's their choice. In a free society, their freedom make a choice and and through persuasion, try to persuade them to take it." Secondly, he added, you can't lie to us, a quote. You can't lie to us. We're not stupid. And the more you lie to us, the more resistant we'll be. If you tell me that an 18-year-old absolutely has to take it the same as an 85-year-old, you are lying to me. And once I know you're lying to me, I'll be resistant to believe everything else. COVID, he noted, is heavily weighted in mortality toward age. So older people and those with risk factors should be first in line to be vaccinated. So that's all I'll read from that story. But what I like about this is Rand Paul is actually a board-certified ophthalmologist. That is, he's an eye surgeon. He's a medical doctor. And he's a practicing medical doctor. Anthony Fauci is not a practicing physician. Anthony Fauci has spent 40 years as a government bureaucrat. And Senator Paul is absolutely right. There is no equating an 18-year-old to an 85-year-old and telling people, you have to have this, you have the same risk for becoming very sick or dying from COVID. And also, too, there's this whole issue with you take the vaccine and then you still have to wear a mask and they still want you to social distance in a lot of places. And they still don't want to have people coming back to work or what have you. And so, what's the point of the vaccine? And then they say, well, the vaccine is probably going to wear off. So, and it's not been tested. And actually, over this past week, you've probably seen all the news stories that there's problems. In fact, I think the federal government is is saying, hey, stop with the Johnson Johnson version of the vaccine. And people are having real bad health reactions. Now, these are the sorts of things that over ten years of clinical trials or what have you, or you know, testing they would work some of these things out and they would realize some risk factors and who's who maybe shouldn't be taking this considering what's whatever health matters they have going on. So anyway, I was very happy to see Senator Paul actually put this uh, very succinctly and very plainly that you need to stop lying. And if you're going to tell us that an 18-year-old and an 85-year-old have exactly the same risk and they both equally need the vaccine, that's absurd. And so you're really not helping things by being dishonest. I'd like to take this opportunity to encourage you to head on over to WND.com and check out my latest national column entitled, The Left's Ongoing Absurd Redefinition of Words. Now, this is at Daily, and you can find my column by going to your favorite search engine and putting in my name, Sean Harshie, and WND. And what you'll come up with is a search result that goes to my author page there at Daily and it's got all my columns listed in chronological order with the latest one right on top. So you can click on that and check it out. In this week's column, I talk about how this ever-shifting language, and I'm going to talk a little bit later in the podcast about this whole idea of infrastructure. Well, now everything is infrastructure. So back in the day, if you remember, oh, about 10 years ago, they came up with affordable health care. Well, as we know, ever since Obamacare, health care costs have absolutely skyrocketed. And everything in the world fell under health care at that point. Which is why the federal government suddenly it became their business if you use tobacco or you have a firearm in your home. because when words mean anything you want them to mean at any given moment, then you can do anything you want to do. And there's a certain vagueness that they give. so affordable health care. well who can you know who can argue with that? Same thing with common sense gun laws, which is really just a euphemism for banning guns or pay their fair share, which means increasing taxes or, Affordable health like I said, which they want to socialize medicine out of that. But I kind of go on a run through about how they're redefining all these things, including infrastructure. So now basically everything means infrastructure. And again, we'll get to that later in the podcast. But I encourage you to go over to WND.com and check out my latest column, again, entitled The Left's Ongoing Absurd Redefinition of Words. And it can only be found at WorldNetDaily. That is WND.com. I'd also like to take this opportunity to encourage you to head on over to whatfinger.com, which is, by the way, the Internet's number one alternative conservative news aggregator. And, you know, they got to be number one for a reason, because they've got it all there. Everything that's of interest to conservative, conservative news sites, say Daily Caller or Breitbart, that sort of thing, Gateway Pundit, you can find it there. If you want to check out what the latest news items are of interest to conservatives, you can find it there. If you want to find columnists, commentators, including some mainstream media articles and and videos and that sort of thing that might be of interest to you. It's a one-stop shop. It's super easy to navigate. It doesn't cost you anything. No subscription or anything like that. And it really is the best out there. As a matter of fact, I keep it open on one of my tabs. All Everything I've got on my rundown sheet here, I'm positive you can find over at WhatFinger.com. And I encourage you to support the great American patriots, American veterans, that operate that site. Now, I talk about WhatFinger.com every week on the program because I use WhatFinger.com. And you should, too. It's WhatFinger. Like, thumbs up, thumbs down. It's actually in their logo. It's WhatFinger. WhatFinger.com. I've got this article from National File entitled only stores left untouched in Minneapolis-area riots, were guarded by armed civilians. Here's a little bit of that story. On Tuesday night, a second round of riots and lootings took place in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, which is not far from the riot and crime-ridden city of Minneapolis. Footage of Dollar Tree and other storefronts being burglarized in an act of civil protest against racial injustice circulated online, and gunshots were routinely heard in the distance. Despite calls to violent revolution by looters, they did not appear interested in a confrontation with determined shopkeepers. So that's all I'm going to read from that story. But it's interesting how this works out. The first time I ever saw this was during the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles. And if you're old enough to remember that from the early 1990s, you know that the Korean shopkeepers who got up on top of their buildings and the Korean shops ended up not being looted because they were willing to defend their businesses and their homes and their property. And then uh, there was another time, uh, it was actually here in Florida, and I can't remember which hurricane it was, but there was just absolute devastation. And I remember one of, uh, I don't know if it was CNN, but you had this reporter who was given this report. You know, you had generators going and lights on, and all these homes in this neighborhood were just devastated, destroyed. And the reporter was holding his microphone and he was saying, I'm reporting live from wherever in Florida. And as you can see behind me, there are all the the residents here have all are taking turns with security in the neighborhood. And they showed in the distance there were men walking around, people who lived there, at least according to his reporting. And they were kind of just on patrol in the neighborhood there and making sure that people didn't come in and loot these destroyed houses in this neighborhood. And then the reporter ended it with, we don't know why, but for some reason, there's surprisingly little looting going on around here. And I, you know, and everybody, of course, is pretty hysterical because he's not making the connection between people willing to use lethal force to defend themselves and defend their property, much like the Korean shopkeepers in Los Angeles during the Rodney King riots. Well, here we see it again in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, with private individuals physically guarding their businesses. It's like everything old is new again, right? I've got a trio of stories here that go back to one of the things I talk about, in my national column this past week at WND.com. The first is at The Federalist, and it's by Christopher Jacobs. His story is entitled, Infrastructure Bill Prompts a Feeding Frenzy Among Swampy D.C. Lobbyists. Here's a little bit of that story. Regardless of whether President Biden's infrastructure plan passes, gets watered down, or fails entirely, it will undoubtedly have major quote-unquote green effects. It has already empowered and emboldened the swamp creatures who inhabit Washington's K Street and other corridors of power as they seek access to the even larger piles of federal cash that the Biden administration wants to spend. Politico recently reported on the feeding frenzy by lobbyists to get part of the action. Mere hours after the plan's release, the publication noted that, quote, the proposal has already spurred a lobbying bonanza, end quote. It's another example of the rich... Well-heeled corporate lobbyists getting richer as government expands further under the new administration. One lobbyist quoted in the article noted so many companies have approached his firm that he had to turn down some of them. He added, look at the plan. Shouldn't everybody be lobbying this bill? The ramp up in lobbying stems from two linked characteristics of the latest policy package. For one, the proposals Biden has released expand the definition of infrastructure nearly to the breaking point Including schools, construction, veterans hospitals, long-term care, electric cars, and and a lot more besides. So that's all I'm going to read from that story. But they're absolutely right. And I don't know if you've uh, if you've seen, but basically everything is infrastructure now. As I talk about in my WND column. But we've got Kirsten Gillibrand out there saying that uh, mandatory paid time off, uh, you know, government mandated paid time off is that's part of infrastructure, and that. Uh, child care, federal child care, that's infrastructure. And then Bernie Sanders says, yeah, well, it's it's not just infrastructure, human infrastructure. So we need to cancel student loan debt because that's that's human infrastructure. And we need to buy people houses and do socialized medicine because that's human infrastructure. And that Pete Booty Jig, he says, well, of course, uh, reforming immigration laws, that, that, that could be part of infrastructure too. Basically everything is infrastructure, sort of like a few years ago, Everything falls under health care. I've got another article here, and uh, this is from over at NewsBusters.org, entitled ABC and NBC Back Biden's Orwellian Rebranding of Social Programs as Infrastructure. Here's a little bit of that story. Last week, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand was mocked on social media for declaring that social programs like paid leave, child care, and caregiving were infrastructure, because they were part of President Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure slush fund. Sunday's morning newscasts, ABC's Good Morning America and NBC's Sunday Today, took up the Orwellian redefinition of infrastructure to bash Republicans for not going along with what any sane person would describe as social programs. And I'm going to go ahead and continue in this segment with another kind of related article that I find absolutely fascinating. It doesn't have so much to do with infrastructure, although that's the bill that it's talking about. But it's more of this redefining words to mean something completely different than what you think they mean. And I've got this story from FoxNews.com entitled, Biden aims to redefine the word bipartisan as Democrats work to push spending bill without any GOP votes. Here's a little bit of that story. President Biden vowed to bridge the partisan political divide, but struggling to garner Republican support for major bills, his administration appears to be changing the narrative by redefining what bipartisan means. First, Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package passed without a single GOP vote, and now his massive infrastructure package is facing strong Republican opposition in Washington. Biden insists he does enjoy support from both parties, however, pointing to Republican voters and officials outside the beltway. So, uh, basically, the story goes on to say that administration officials are claiming that, yeah, he can go ahead and w- we can do this without working with Republicans. We can do this without any Republican votes. None. Zero. And we can still call it bipartisan because uh, there's a we, we think this is popular with Republican voters. Then we can say that this is bipartisan because I think somebody, uh, one of his officials said, hey, you know, the word bipartisan... It doesn't say that it has to be Republicans in Congress. Okay, well, then I guess any word can mean anything they want it to mean. And at that point, words mean nothing. (laughs) Kind of going back to COVID a little bit, I I was kind of blown away by this. People on the volcano-stricken island of St. Vincent have been told by the country's prime minister that they will not be rescued if they haven't taken the COVID vaccine. Yes, really. Cruise ships were dispatched to evacuate the island after the 4,000-foot-high volcano, some French word, erupted on Friday. However, Ralph Gonsalves, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, gave a press conference warning that those who hadn't taken the jab would be left on the island with the volcano to fend for themselves. Quote, The chief medical officer will be identifying the persons already vaccinated so that we can get them on the ship. 16,000 people are being evacuated from the red zone areas of the island that are most at risk, That number won't include those who, for whatever reason, haven't taken the COVID vaccine. And the story goes on. But this is getting to be how you will be unpersoned unless you do what they say. Anyway, very fascinating topic, but yeah, they won't, they're they willing to leave you stranded on an island with an active volcano if you don't take the medicine they're telling you to take to prevent a virus with almost a 100% survival rate and a virus by which they say you still have to social distance and wear a mask and do all the same stuff that you did if you weren't vaccinated. What's the point? I've said this on the podcast before. I like Mike Pence. I like him as a person. I've met Mike Pence several times. I think he's a, I always found him to be a very genuine guy. And I actually worked on his very first congressional campaign in 1988 when I was in college. And he was running for uh, some congressional seat. But I was deeply saddened when Pence, he jumped ship from Donald Trump and threw in with the Heritage Foundation guys. So basically, he's all on board with the Obama-Romney wing of the Republican Party. With that, I've got this story from National File entitled, Boehner says Pence should command respect, has pretty good shot at 2024 nomination. I really don't need to read too much of this story, but... Here's just a little snippet from the story. Former Republican Speaker of the House John Boehner claims that Pence should command respect from President Trump's supporters due to his loyalty to the 45th president, and he believes Pence has a pretty good chance at securing the 2024 Republican nomination. All right, there are a lot of people, the GOP establishment in particular, who don't realize that it's not 1996, it's not 2003 the Republican base has moved on. Romney, Boehner, Murkowski, they conduct themselves and act as though they still control things within the GOP. Anyway, the fact that John Boehner is out there singing the praises of Mike Pence, that's the final nail in the coffin for Pence's political career. He can look forward to a future of sitting around and doing whatever they do at the Heritage Foundation, attending cocktail parties inside the Beltway, and going on CNN and NBC and the Sunday morning shows as a Republican to bash Republicans, just like John Boehner and Mitt Romney, Bill Crystal, and all those guys. Very sad. I've got this amusing story from Washington Examiner, and this is kind of sad and funny, and I don't even know what to think about it. So you've got the whole transgender thing in sports, where you've got somebody who's a so-so Division Three. Track star or whatever. Well, that person can then say, you know what, I identify as a female now and start smashing NCAA Division I records as a female. So, anyway, so that's something that's been going on quite a bit in the news. But this uh, story here at the Washington Examiner is entitled Transgender Inmates Now Get Prison of Their Gender Choice in California. Here's a little bit of that story California prisons are now placing transgender inmates in the facilities of their identity preferences which also allows them to have taxpayer-funded reassignment surgery in a welcoming environment, thanks to a law that went into effect in January. The legislation states that incarcerated transgender individuals are vulnerable to sexual abuse, discrimination, and harassment, and therefore require a safe environment in which they are able to express their gender or to take medical, social, or legal transition steps. A California study found that transgender women have a 13 times higher rate of sexual assault than men in the same prison. So the story goes on a little bit. But what's interesting about this is they've tried this in other places. In fact, I think in Scotland, they've had this trouble where you have male inmates who say, I identify as a female, and they've been doing this for a few years over there. So they move them over to the women's prison, where the one case I'm thinking of, the guy was convicted of rape. And they moved him over to the women's prison, and he then began sexually assaulting the female prisoners. But what's interesting about this is... How many transgender males, so this would be biological females, how many of them are going to petition to move over to the men's prison? I'm guessing none. I'm guessing it's going to be virtually 100% the other way. But anyway, it's, uh, I'm willing to bet this is the ticket for a lot of guys who just want to move over to the women's prison. I mean, who's to say no? because there's nothing objective about this it's just subjective it's whatever the inmate says so anyways it's kind of interesting and i'm curious as to how this is going to work out <laughs> finally this week i have a story from law enforcement today which is a great resource i encourage you to go check the, that out it's lawenforcementtoday.com entitled texas officer hailed as hero after taking out active shooter just as he opens fire at airport here's a little bit of that story dateline san antonio texas A police officer is being hailed as a hero after he shot an active shooter at San Antonio Airport just as the gunman began his attack. The incident began around 2.30 p.m. on Thursday when the man drove into the airport terminal going the wrong way. An unidentified San Antonio Park police officer working in overtime detail observed the vehicle and confronted the man in Terminal B. The man immediately exited the vehicle and opened fire on the officer and the building. The officer immediately returned fire, striking the active shooter. The gunman was later pronounced dead at a local hospital. And they go on to say that uh, they think this shooter was also the same guy who stopped his car on uh, one of those highway flyover ramps and was shooting at vehicles. But once again, we had a good guy with a gun who stopped something bad from being even worse for the general public. So hats off to this officer. Well, thank you for making the Harsh Reality Podcast a part of your weekly routine. I appreciate your spending some time with us this week. I would encourage you to check out my latest column, The Left's Ongoing Absurd Redefinition of Words. It's only available at WND.com. And I would encourage you, if you want to drop me a note, you can do that. You can either go to my website, it's seanharshey.com. Go over to the Contact Us tab, fill out the little form, and that'll send me an email. Or you can send me an email through WND really easy. Just go to my picture that's on the column there. And right next to it is my name. That's a hyperlink. Click on that. It has a short bio about me and a place where you can email the author. And if you'd like to comment, the comment section is pretty lively on this one. I would encourage you to check that out and jump in and make your voice be heard. So that does it for Episode 91. I encourage you to join us next week for Episode 92 of the Harsh Reality Podcast. I'm Sean Harshey, and this is the Harsh Reality.